WBNE. Hello from elsewhere. I'm Valerie. And I'm Casey. And welcome to the podcast where we explore the themes and symbolism in pop culture. This episode comes to you straight from 17 Cherry Tree Lane. Because today we're discussing Julie Andrews' The Hollywood Years. This year's 17 Cherry Tree Lane. I can't do a Cockney accent any better than Bert can, Mr. Dick Van Dyke. I'm sure Bert is great with a Cockney accent. It's Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, he struggled, which yes. Julie Andrews even mentions in the, the book, how right. much of a struggle it was for him. She talks about how she was asked to help him a little bit, and she obviously doesn't have a Cockney accent, but growing up in vaudeville, on, on those stages, she'd uh, give him some lines from songs and things that she knew that would sound that way. And then there was... I forget, somebody else on set who was Irish trying to give him tips on a Cockney accent. So he clearly didn't have the best of help (laughs) to begin with. (laughs) And he's a great sport about it. I was watching an interview where he was laughing because he said that a couple years ago there was a list of the top 10 worst British accents of all time in movies. And he was on there. (laughs) (laughs) And he just laughs. He, He gets it. So yeah, today we're talking about Julie Andrews. Do you have any anecdotes? I don't have anything to start this episode, if we're just diving right in. We're diving in. I've got plenty of stuff. Okay. So this episode is technically a part two of Julie Andrews, a retrospective on Julie Andrews, because part one, well, you talk about it. It's all you. (laughs) Guys, I'm so excited about this. Just before we hit record, I was like, Casey, I love Julie Andrews so much. As if you needed, like, as if this was news to me that you right. love Julie Andrews. <laughs> I just needed to say it again, that I just love Julie Andrews. I do, too. She's amazing. So much. So I got to be on Sincerely Us this past Wednesday. Go and check them out. They're a musical theater podcast. And since it's International Women's Month, they've been talking about different actresses uh, in theater. And I suggested to them that I would love to be on and talk about Julie Andrews at some point. Um, and her Broadway career and and her beginnings. And so we talked about that on Wednesday, and you should definitely go listen to it and check it out. And so this episode gets to be, like Casey said, a a part two, the Hollywood years, her life in movies and and just her home life as well. Just so many fun things to talk about. And most of what we're talking about is focused on what she talks about in her second biography, right? Because we're kind of splitting it how she splits her her writings on herself um, and that her first biography is about the the Broadway years up to being cast for Mary Poppins. And then the second book is Mary Poppins onward. So that's kind of how we decided to split it as well for these two podcasts. Both of her books are lovely, but if you only have time to read one, I like homework even more. It has a really good recap at Which the is beginning. The second, yeah, that's the second that's one. That's the second book, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, it has a really good recap of what she talks about in Home, which is the first book, and then it talks a lot about her her life. And I was so excited to just learn all these all this information about her life. And she has a fantastic memory, and she clearly kept a ton of diaries, journals, you know, notebooks of times and places and things because there's so much detail in these books that they're fantastic to read. Yeah, I was going to say I'm in awe of the amount of detail, and I'm a sucker for behind the scenes tidbits and trivia. And this has a lot of that, especially for Mary Poppins and Sound of Music, which um, the Sound of Music is just a, a movie that I love and adore. And and I like Mary Poppins as well. So anything that's behind the scenes, I will eat it up and 
She has plenty of plenty of detail. To if share. you had to pick a favorite Julie Andrews movie, which would it be? Sound of Music. Yeah. Mine's Mary Poppins, followed closely by Princess Just Diaries. Nice. See, mine would go Sound of Music, then Princess Diaries, then Mary Poppins. <laughs> Not that I dislike Mary Poppins or anything, but Sound of Music's just cream the crop. It is fantastic. Sound of Music and Mary Poppins are definitely ones that you and I both grew up on. Like our, our yeah. love of Julie Andrews comes from our, our childhoods. Yeah, for sure. All right, Val, where Let's, are we starting? We're going to start at the very beginning, oh, but not at the well. Sound of Music. <laughs> <laughs> I just heard it in my head. I know, right? It's a very good place to start. Uh, in the episode with Sincerely Us with Becca and Eni that I did... Um, we kind of ended right at right at where I want to start here, Casey. Okay. So Julie Andrews was in the mo- in the play Camelot on Broadway, and there had been a little um, oh why did I just forget his name? Who's the big show of the times? The late night show host? Oh, Johnny Carson. No. Was, that, was he? Was he then? No, it's Ed Sullivan. Oh yeah, okay. that's this is right before Johnny Carson. Yes. I, I get this so, mixed up. So on the Ed Sullivan show, they had done a little uh, clip, a preview of Camelot on Broadway, mm. and Walt Disney and some other people at the studio, I think the Sherman Brothers, um, they had been trying to think who would play Mary Poppins, and they saw this clip on the Ed Sullivan show and thought, Julie Andrews, she would be perfect. So Walt Disney flies to New York to catch the show, and after he sees her performing it. He goes backstage, and so he's in her dressing room with Julie Andrews and her husband uh, at the time, Tony Walton. And she and when Walt Disney asks Julie Andrews, he's trying to like give her a pitch, you know. Yeah. This is this is the movie. Uh, this movie's gonna be based off of P.L. Travers' novels, and I would love for you to play Julie Andrews, or <laughs> I would love for you to play Mary Poppins. And she wasn't sure what to think because she. She's like, well, I've never been in a movie. and the, But the first thing she said was, well, I'm pregnant. And Walt said, that's okay. We'll wait, yeah. <laughs> which is just so cool. It was fantastic. He re- they really wanted Julie Andrews in the role enough that they would wait for her to... Because she, she went back to London to have the baby, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she, was, and she wasn't even it. that far along. Like They had recently found right. out. Um, so they were waiting a while. And then he turns to Julie Andrews' husband, Tony, and says, now what do you do, young man? And he said, well... He, he did costume design and um, and theater sets um, and and set design for the theaters. And Walt Disney said, "Well, bring your portfolio along with you." And so her husband Tony gets to. This is the only thing that they really got to work on together. And so he did a lot of the set design and especially the costume design for Mary Poppins. And he was nominated for an Oscar for it, even, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty awesome. But I, I think it's, I wonder if the reason Walt Disney was willing to wait was because maybe they were still really early in pre-production. And that movie probably required a lot of planning. Um, Disney hadn't done a lot of live action before that. Maybe if any, I can't remember. But I mean, it's a blend. There's definitely a animation in there. But Mary Poppins is kind of a, a force of trying new things for Disney. And so I wonder if they were early on in the pre-production process so they could afford to wait, but I don't know. And they went through a lot of discussions with P.L. Travers. It took them, it took Walt Disney a long time to sell her on the idea of a movie. And then she had um, some control over what was going to be in the movie. Like for example, the Sherman brothers had planned it as a musical and they had written all these songs and they'd been working for a couple of years on like the music for Mary Poppins. And when they brought P.L. Travers out and they were like going to start playing the music for her, she's like, well, I don't know why you guys are in here. This is not going to be a musical. <laughs> and 
and they were like, uh, <laughs> we're pretty far along. Right. <laughs> so she had very set ideas on what it was and wasn't going to be. Um, she actually called Julie Andrews the day after Julie Andrews had her baby, Emma. She's in the hospital still. And P.L. Travers calls her and says, well, I hear you're going to be Mary Poppins. And, you know, Tell me about yourself. And, and Julie Andrews is like, well, I'm a little, gro-. you know, I've just had a baby. I'm a, I'm a little groggy, but uh, I'm very excited about, <laughs> you know, playing Mary Poppins. And P.L. Travers told her, well, you're far too pretty, of course, but you have the nose for it. <laughs> it's like, how do you take any of that? I know, right? <laughs> Which Julie Andrews mentioned in an interview that, you know, she called it her, her ski slope nose. That was my <laughs> name for it. She has a very pert nose turns up at the end (laughs) which is fantastic i think it's uh, you know while we're on or at least close to the subject of tony walton and and julie andrews i i imagine that there must have been a lot of imposter syndrome from both of them um considering that neither of them had worked on any film before and walt disney just hires them both kind of out of the blue at least from their perspective um especially tony's perspective just he shows him his portfolio and walt hires him pretty much on the spot and I, I think they just probably felt a little bit out of their depth and I know I know Julie Andrews does because throughout the book she often says that like with each film she feels like oh I don't know I don't quite know what I'm doing um yeah she often says like she felt like she wasn't up to task is the wording she would use and yet they were up to the task absolutely she mentions a lot that she went into this completely unaware of of any movie making she didn't know she had to be taught by the director the different kinds of shots and why they were needed and and it kind of blew her mind how many times they had to do a take to get even short scenes uh, pieced together from different angles and things so it was a, a ton of work for them to learn this new trade in a way I mean she was an actress on stage but this felt entirely foreign to her Yeah, I think like stage acting and film acting are both tests of endurance, but in different ways. Film acting, you're enduring the time that you're not in front of the camera. Whereas stage acting, it's just all one long take. You know, you don't get multiple takes. It's just one thing. So I think they're both, you have to endure both of them, but in different ways. And she was kind of learning that. Yeah, I like that. One other thing that's fun about Tony getting to do the wardrobes is that he put really colorful like petticoats on Mary Poppins and like the linings of her jackets are all coral and pink colored and he told Julie Andrews that he said that I fancy that Mary has a secret inner life and when you kick up your heels you'll catch a glimpse of who she is beneath her prim exterior. So there was such attention to details and Julie Andrews said that that really helped her fill in Mary Poppins character. You know the the costuming and the sets and things helped her become the character. And I think it, it comes through, it shows through in the movie where you can tell that there's some sort of, she's not, um, she's holding a little bit back. Like there's something more to her than meets the eye that you never really get a full picture of. It's, um, she has that inner life that we don't, we don't know all about it. One of my favorite stories from Julie Andrews being on the set of Mary Poppins is she had to wear these harnesses for the scenes where Mary Poppins is flying and they were really uncomfortable for her. And there's one point where she's up and she's got the umbrella and it's the scene where she comes in um, and like all the other nannies get blown away and then they first see Mary Poppins. And so she's up in her harness and they kind of have to like hang out for a long time between shots. And 
the she feels the harness give a little bit, like one of the wires had snapped. And so she dropped about six inches or so it felt like to her. And she calls down to the people and she's like, when you let me down, can you let me down very slowly? And they're like, okay. But like they weren't letting her down yet. Like I love that she's so polite about it. When you let me down, not get me down now. But she did say, I, I don't feel quite safe up here. And so she, they start to lower her down. And I love the way that she says this. It's on an interview with uh, Stephen Colbert. Um, but she says that, she says, I plummeted to the stage and there was an awful silence for a minute. And I did let fly with a few Anglo-Saxon four-letter words, I have to admit. <laughs> And luckily the, so she does hit the stage, but there were counterbalances and things that slowed her enough that thankfully she didn't break anything. Also, they left the flying scenes, the stunts and stuff to the very end of shooting, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just in case something happens, she's, (laughs) they got all the other shots they need at that point. Right. And I'm sure in the sixties, the safety standards were slightly different than they are now. Oh, probably. Um, I don't know. I don't know the specifics of that, but I'm sure it's changed. My favorite bit of trivia is that in Mary Poppins, the bird whistling is her whistling. I love that. Like they had a professional bird caller on set, but his whistle just didn't sound, or his or her, I don't know who it was, but their whistle didn't sound quite right. And so then they just had Mary Poppins do it herself. Right. Yeah. She's so funny in her book because even when she says things about herself, it never sounds like bragging. No, yeah. She's like, and I was pretty good at whistling like you know i've always been pretty good at it and she's just so modest but also like that's her whistling in the movie which is fantastic julie andrews is the best she's so cool uh she was breastfeeding her daughter emma on set this whole time like she Mm. emma was only three months old so obviously they had a nanny for emma her the nanny would come on set multiple times a day with her and and uh so that julie andrews can could continue to breastfeed, which is like blows my <laughs> mind back in the 60s yeah. that they were, um, that she would try so hard for that. Um, and she said that she loved, so all week she was on set, you know, she'd wake up in the morning, say hi to Emma quickly, and then off to work until past dinner usually. But then on the weekends, she was just wanted to be a mom. And so they'd stay home and swim and walk and they hardly wanted to go anywhere else because they were just exhausted from this whole filmmaking process. One of my other favorite things is that Dick Van Dyke, we know that he plays the Mr. Dawes Sr. Yeah. Um, Which as a kid, I totally didn't No, I didn't realize that until, yeah. Yeah, until I was like (laughs) probably a teenager and you like, well, maybe when you can like finally read credits and stick around long enough to read the credits. Right. (laughs) Because when you're a kid, you don't sit there and watch them. Um, And they like rearrange the letters to say Dick Van Dyke and you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Plot twist. But he wanted so badly to do that role and Walt Disney made him do a screen test for it. Um, He like also wanted to play that role. And so Walt Disney teasingly like made him do a, a screen test for it, and everybody loved it so much. Um, but Dick Van Dyke also he he told him he's like I'll I'll do it. You don't have to pay me. I just want to play that right. role. Like don't pay me. But Walt Disney also talked him into for that role. Uh, he talked Dick Van Dyke into donating four thousand dollars to the California Institute of Arts, <laughs> which Dick or that which Walt Disney had like recently yeah. co-founded. <laughs> And so, so basically, Dick Van Dyke paid, paid to be the old man to play <laughs> the old man in Mary Poppins. Which is fantastic. So good. 
there's lots of other funny things like we mentioned Julie Andrews being up in the harness, but they also had to harness the kids in some of the scenes mm-hmm. for the tea party. And the little boy who played Michael, whose name I can't remember now. I don't remember. Her name's Karen something. I don't remember yeah. his. And he passed away at a very young age. He was like... 20-something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so the the boy who played Michael was terrified of heights. And so he, somebody on set had the idea, they're like, well, I'll pay you a dime every time you go up. And so... (laughs) That's awesome. So he was pocketing a little extra change every time they had to do one of the shots. Like the tea party is the one that they were up for. Yeah. And the tea party, Casey, they actually... I was going to say it was sideways that they filmed it, right? Right. Yeah. Inception. Which wrinkle, yeah, that again, I'm like, like I love old movies for the way that they use practical effects like that. Yeah. That they like figured out how to make it work. Right. Like we were talking about with Wizard of Oz and the and the color and um, just old school camera trickery. And I, I love it even more when newer movies go back and do that. Right. Like Lord of the Rings uses a lot of um, forced perspective stuff to make the hobbits look smaller like there's shots where they're just farther behind but you can't tell because the screen is flat and so just i love forced perspective but yeah you get i'm that's all (laughs) it has nothing to do with julie andrews i'm on a tangent (laughs) just saying i love um i just love on set problem solving and with the special effects like the animation with the actors was new yeah um so that was all fun and they said it was walt disney's idea to make they were going to have the waiters just be like cartoon waiters. But it was Walt Disney who said, well, waiters always kind of reminded me of penguins. <laughs> and so they made them penguins. That's awesome. And Julie Andrews voiced like one of the horses or something. One of the animals she voiced as well. Or maybe the cow. I don't remember that. She mentioned, I think, that she was one of the voices. One of the voices. Yeah. That's fun. That makes sense. I mean, she did lots of voice acting later in her life, too, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. in more recent years, she's done right, more like voice Despicable acting. Despicable Me and Shrek. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Speaking of the Jolly Holiday scene, when she's standing on the turtle, it's actually a little anvil, which mm-hmm. is fun. So the turtle is a little anvil hanging out there. And at one point when she was playing Mary Poppins, the makeup artist um, had accidentally used a... Because I guess she had, like, fake eyelashes the whole time. Oh. And they had, like, a... Like they were like glued on, mm-hmm. and so the adhesive, the glue had gone like rancid, and he didn't know, mm. and so she got like a really bad eye and oh right, like her, an eye infection, her eye swelled up for a day, and so they had to rearrange shooting so they could film other things while that <laughs> happened. <laughs> I think one of my favorite things about the movie, though, is that or one of the the behind-the-scenes things, is that they didn't tell Jane and Michael what was going to happen sometimes so that their reactions were very just natural. Yeah. Like when they start pulling things out of the bag and they're all just coming from somewhere, but the kids can't see where it's coming from. And so their reactions there, like in awe, they're really just surprised that this carpet bag can hold so much. Which Which I didn't realize how they filmed that. I was always curious how they filmed that shot. Because in the movie... There's clearly nothing under the table, but they just used, um, they just superimposed an image of Michael going under the table and looking underneath on the image of her pulling stuff out of the table. So like, yeah, other old school tricks. So good. Yeah. And when she, when Mary Poppins pours out the medicine and it's a different color, that scream from Jane is like natural because she was just in shock that it was a different color, which makes it all the better. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> So the children were just in awe and and experiencing the magic. And Mary Poppins won four Academy Awards. And it was nominated for like 13. 
13, I think. 13? Wow, that's insane. It's like, can we just talk about this for a second? Because <laughs> that does not happen with Disney movies um, anymore. Like, it, it just doesn't happen. And especially like live action ones. The Disney animated movies might get nominated for best um, animated picture, maybe for music um, or specific songs. But 13 nominations, like the Academy is is very different now than it was in 65, but it's pretty remarkable. And the fact that Julie Andrews was nominated for an Academy Award for Mary Poppins, like that even to me, that sounds crazy. Not because she doesn't deserve it, but just because it's, uh, I don't know, it's not the type, Mary Poppins isn't the type of movie you think of as Oscar bait. Right. Yeah. So the, the categories that they won in were best visual effects, best original musical music score, and best film editing. Mm. And then Julie Andrews won Best Actress. And this is great because Julie Andrews was in My Fair Lady on Broadway, and but she didn't get cast to be in My Fair Lady, the film that they were making. Right. They, Even though Rex Harrison was. They kept Rex yeah. Harrison from the Broadway play, but Julie Andrews um, wasn't really considered, and she seemed to completely understand. She's like, well, I'd never been in a movie. I never really expected it. Yeah. Um, and so Jack Warner was the director, producer? No, he's like a oh, an higher executive. Up guy. Yeah. Okay. Because it was Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he had, they had cast Audrey Hepburn instead. Because she is a more well known. Oh, she well-known. was she a was star. Yeah. She's a star. Yeah. You put Audrey Hepburn in, you see the movie. I'd go see the movie. Right, right. I don't know who Julie Andrews is at the time, but you know <laughs> Audrey Hepburn, you go see the movie. Which is funny, though, because then they had to dub in. Audrey Hepburn's voice, like she doesn't sing. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you could have had an actress who could sing the parts. <laughs> She's already sung them on Broadway. But so when Julie Andrews accepts the Oscar. No, it's the Golden Globe. Oh, the Golden Globes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. The Oscar one, she, her acceptance speech, she mentions Walt Disney, but. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, when she accepts the, the Golden Globe for best actress in a music musical or comedy. Um, and she was up against Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. She had also been nominated. Um, and so she... You'll have to watch the video of it because it's so great. But Julie Andrews, you know, says, and, and thank you to the, the to the man who made this all possible kind of thing. And then she says, Jack Warner. Um, <laughs> because he didn't cast her in, Mar- in My Fair Lady, she got to be in Mary Poppins. Right. And everyone they were in the on at the same time. laughed. And even Jack Warner's, you, you watch it, they cut to him and he's like busting up laughing, wiping tears from his face. He's laughing so hard. Right. Um, yeah, it was all in in good fun, and um, there wasn't there wasn't any animosity or anything behind it. But it's but it just f- shows Julie Andrews' comedic timing yeah. too. Like, and you see it in Mary Poppins, and yeah. and the way she presents herself. It, I mean, as Maria and and yeah. so many of her characters. Like, we think of her as very uh, proper and mm-hmm. and the epitome of just class and right. elegance, but she's funny right and she's not a afraid of like her humble beginnings and she's very much like you said she suffers from imposter syndrome throughout the whole book you get the sense of her feeling uh, not up to task not up to task (laughs) yeah yeah but i think it's crazy that also that this was so it's her very first film and she's nominated for an oscar for it wins the oscar for it like that's not very common i think it's four or something women that have won best actress in their very first role really um Someone might have to fact check me. I was looking at a lot of trivia, but I think it was four. I think she's one of four that have done that. And crazy that she never won again. She was nominated for a couple other things, but maybe one other thing. Um, But yeah, just her first film and she won both the Oscar and the Golden Globe. Casey, let's move from Mary Poppins to Sound of Music. 
Okay. No, we're not talking about the Americanization of Emily. Oh, we could. I, sure. don't, I don't have anything to say about it. I just <laughs> wanted to sound smart. Sure. Yes. I didn't know about that movie, but it's got her and um, James Garner in mm-hmm. black and white. Uh, it sounds interesting. Yep. I'd like to watch it, but I've... And it's apparently it's her favorite film that she's done and James Garner's as well. There's a love scene in there that she was like incredibly nervous yeah. and uncomfortable. <laughs> and just reading it is like, yeah, that's how I'd feel trying to film a love scene. Yeah. Like this is... When apparently... I don't know if it was James Garner. Was he the partner in that scene? I don't yes. know. I haven't seen it. Okay. There, she was saying that he was he was great, but mm-hmm. just the, the situation of it all is very awkward. And yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> it's like the last thing I would want, ever want to do. Yeah. Pretend yeah. on camera a love scene. No, thanks. Right. <laughs> but we can jump to the sound of music. What's funny is um, when she starts filming sound of music, Mary Poppins hadn't come out yet. So no, no one really knew who she was. I think she mentions that the kids had heard you know, rumors that this movie, Mary Poppins, was coming out, but obviously none of the kids had seen it. So she got cast because, and she's, she made a point of saying that Walt Disney never does this, but that Walt Disney showed some early clips from Mary Poppins to uh, Robert Weiss, who was trying to find a cast for Sound of Music. Right. And so he had seen her acting on Mary Poppins in unreleased footage, and that kind of uh, cinched the deal for her. And Mary and Julie Andrews was a little hesitant at first, because it's a very similar role. She's yeah. like, well, it's basically another nanny. Do I want to yeah. be like typecast? Is that... And she's mentioned kind of after role? that, that people have... Other people had offered similar nanny type roles, and she'd say, I've done that, you know. So she's right. definitely very aware of the similarities mm-hmm. between the two characters, which is funny because they're, yeah, they were filmed so close to one another. Um, but I like this quote from Julie was talking about her mom and was saying that her m- mom was always one to like keep her in her place, like from the time she was little, accepting, you know, because she's been acting since she was a child and to, you know, to kind of put perspective in. And she said, you know, don't you dare get a, a swollen head. There's always somebody that can do what you do and probably even better than you. <laughs> um, so so Julie never took a, a job for granted. Like, you know, it came down to this being a fantastic opportunity and, and she was going to take it, you know. She was, I think it was probably too early for her to be worried too much about getting typecast. I don't know. Yeah. How that all works. I've never <laughs> been typecast. <laughs> Mary Poppins came out in 1964, and then Julie Andrew or Sound of Music comes out in 1965. It also stars Christopher Plummer, which, Casey, I was thinking about this. I was like, I think the only things I've ever seen Christopher Plummer in are Sound of Music and Knives Out. Not Star Trek. Um, I never, I've never seen Star number Trek. Six, The Undiscovered Country. He mm. plays a Klingon. Nope. You haven't seen that? Uh-uh. <laughs> that was a staple in my childhood. It really was. I don't know, like a random Star Trek, but for whatever reason, we watched that one a lot. Christopher Plummer plays a an indistinguishable Klingon. You can't really tell it's Christopher Plummer. I didn't know as a child. Right, but, but to me, to put all the Klingon <clears throat> makeup, right. face mask, he's like an eye patch. He's like a mm-hmm. pirate-looking Klingon. <laughs> okay. Well, and he did mostly stage or a lot of stage acting, at least in his yeah. early days. Uh, did you know he's like a classical pianist? Yeah, she mentions that that he would play at like the local hotel. Hotel, yeah. Yeah, in the evenings he'd go and get some drinks and then just play in the hotel lobby because he was in a fancier hotel than she was yes <laughs> how's that for billing even though he was in way fewer shots than she was well and she said it was because she thought the production people thought she would want something a little quieter because of her daughter but right she had her nanny and her daughter yeah. emma with her in switzerland and her husband tony was working in london at the time um so they filmed if i remember right they filmed some scenes in los angeles first 
and then went to Austria and then went back and filmed more in Los Angeles. Does that sound right? Yeah. Um, but when they went to Austria, they had a lot of weather problems. I was kind of amazed how many weather problems. So which much. It, it seems to be like, I don't know, Mother Nature doesn't like movies. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I can't have an episode without talking about Star Wars. When they filmed the Tatooine scenes, it was like the hottest, hottest temperatures on record in Tunisia when they're filming Tatooine. And then in Empire Strikes Back, it was like the worst blizzard that Norway had ever seen. And um, I think Mother Nature doesn't like movies. That's that's my theory for this take. episode. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> because it was like constantly raining in when they were filming Sound of Music and they had to just set up a shot and sort of wait for a, a sunny patch to come. I guess yeah. they had a guy wait with a window. binoculars that was just like, all right, we got about five minutes and we might get a little bit of sun watching the clouds. <laughs> And so then they didn't film it, which I, I've never noticed when I watch the movie. Like, the lighting looks weird. Like, I don't know. Seems well, great. Well, true story. They replaced some of the, the wide shots that have blue screen, like blue skies behind her. They put the blue skies in after. Oh. So you'll notice in some shots, like the big wide open shot, it's all blue skies. Yeah. And then there's another shot of her and there's clouds behind her. Oh. That's like a closer up. So that can ruin some of the magic for you there. No, uh, if you know anything about me at all, that like <laughs> to me that increases the magic. Movies are miracles that they are made, and oh, yes. I truly believe that. And and not just made, but that they often work at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. And and when they work really well, like The Sound of Music does, it's just it baffles me, and I'm so I don't know in awe of it. And Good, because I have yeah. some more for you. It never ruins the magic for so me. So they had to carry all the camera equipment up in ox carts. Yes, because I there are no. <laughs> roads anywhere like cars are not gonna make it and you can't hike that far so they use ox drawn wagons <laughs> borrowed from the local farmers and they had to pay the farmers to like use the land and stuff right and there was one that sabotaged one of their sets they had a set yes. on a so they had they had made a makeshift river stream with the some one where she tarps. dips down and washes her hands mm. Uh, that is completely fake. They built that in. Yeah. It doesn't exist up there. But the farmer was mad that the uh, the shoot was taking so long, which it was taking so long because they had so many delays from the weather and their budget right. was going up and their um, they were way over schedule. And so he just took his like pitchfork and and popped the, the tarp underneath lining. the plastic, uh -huh. yeah, underneath so that their Water river seeped out into the into the dirt. So drained away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, farmer. Also, there's a shot of her in the birch trees as she kind of like weaves her way through the birch trees mm. in that same song. Those birch trees are fake. She popped those up um, because it's just, it's high enough altitude. There's just pine trees up there. Uh, so those those birch trees are also fake. The grass looks really green, Casey, but it was actually very yellow. So they had like colored that Color in corrected. as well. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. I love the story of um, them filming the very first shot. So they have the, the movie starts with a big wide helicopter shot coming in and then it cuts to a closer um, like waist up shot of her singing but that shot of the helicopter coming in they had to do multiple times over and over and every time when the helicopter Nine came times. over it would like blow her over into the grass and knock her over <laughs> <laughs> and she was such a trooper about it but she's like I afterwards I just went to the hotel and took a long bath Right. She just mentioned she, you know, maybe swore a few times yeah. that she kept getting blown over by the helicopter. Which I think was one of the last shots, if not the last shot that they filmed in Austria, at least mm -hmm. the way she presents it in the book. Um, it's It was later in the shoot, I believe. Austria, right? I keep saying Austria and now I'm like nervous. Yeah. It's not in Austria, it right? It's in okay. Austria. <laughs> yes. <laughs> one of the things that, another thing that made Julie Andrews kind of hesitant to take the role of 
Maria is that she had seen the Broadway play, and the Broadway play, as she put it, was too saccharine. Saccharine? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was too, almost like, too sweet. Sickly sweet, yeah. Sickly sweet. Like, it was just too much. Um, and so when the people who were making the movie were talking about, no, no, we want to, like, pare that back a lot and make yeah. it a little more realistic. and you Which know. is funny because some critics afterwards said the same thing still about the movie, that it right. was it was too um, sentimental and uh, you can never win. <laughs> I know. I know how much you love to talk about hair. Do you want to talk about her hair? Yes, I in do. In Sound of Music. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because yeah. I've always thought her, like, her hair is a little bit odd in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I know why. <laughs> yeah. So she had been cutting her hair for, on Mary Poppins. She'd been cutting her hair progressively shorter to go underneath all the wigs because the wigs were making her so hot that she was just cutting it shorter and shorter and um, to make it easier. And so when she gets to this movie, she already has short hair. But the uh, the director was saying, well, I think, you know, it looks nice with some, some highlights in your hair. And she was still, I mean, she was a brunette up to this point in her life. She was born a brunette, you know, brown hair. And then she, um, so they're trying to put some highlights in her hair and they go, the something in the coloring process goes wrong and so she just has like orange hair. <laughs> like she just calls it like a, a she ended up with a, a bright orange mop as she called it. And so then to fix that they had to cut it even shorter and then just go blonde, blonde. Yeah. So that's why it's so short and mm-hmm. so blonde. But then they say it was a bit fortuitous because it um, ended up being accurate to the period and, and place that Maria would have been in and being um, work, being a nun. she a nun? Yeah, technically well, she's a nun. A, she's a nun quite. in training, kind no, of thing. Yeah. What do they call her? Um, no, I'm not going to remember. I don't know. Sorry. That's okay. But yeah, so they would have kept it short under the wimple. The wimple. That yeah, yes. I think that's right. I was going to say whipple, and that's wrong. <laughs> I think there's an M in there. Wimple, yes. And then she kept her blonde hair the rest of her life. I mm. mean, she's still got time. She could go purple or something now if she wants, but. She would, and it would still be classy. (laughs) She's Julie Andrews. One more fact, Casey, about the opening shot, her short blonde hair, and she's in the trees. They had set up big speakers in the trees to just, like, blare the music so that she could hear it, so she would know, like, what to sing along. (laughs) (laughs) So they just had to, like, bring it. I don't even know. How would you power them? In the trees in the middle of the Alps. The battery what were generators stamps? like? Are they like hand cranking generators? Are they, I don't the know. Oxen how, yeah, the oxen are cranking. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they did it. But there are apparently giant speakers in the trees to play the music for her to hear it. Um, speaking of singing voices, though, Christopher Plummer's voice, when he sings Edelweiss, that is him, but they also had a professional singer sing it at the same time. And then hmm. they kind of like put the two voices together to kind of enhance Christopher Plummer's Interesting. voice. Can we talk about Edelweiss for a second? Because yes. uh, I love this tidbit. Edelweiss is presented in the movie as this classic song that everyone in Austria knows, and it has great meaning for the country, but it was written for the movie, and they kind of forgot that, or some people in the production really thought it was an old song, and so they expected that the crowd at the end in the Coliseum auditorium, outdoor auditorium place, that they would just know it. And so they could ask them, well, you sing, that's this part of the movie. You're supposed to sing Edelweiss, but none of them knew it because it wasn't a real song, you know? And so they had to spend a lot of the time just teaching teaching the crowd to sing Edelweiss uh, to, to go along with the movie. It's so good. They're like, you should know it. It's an Austrian folk song. Like, and they're uh, like, uh, no. <laughs> 
So the Julie Andrews mentioned in an interview that the backyard, there's a really great behind the scenes with uh, Diane Sawyer. No, is oh, it Diane like Sawyer? A, like a retrospective yes. years later thing? Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, she, they, so they go back to Austria and to find some of the filming locations and things. And, and Julie Andrews said that her favorite scenes of the, her favorite location of the movie was always the backyard of the oh, house. Yeah. Like the one which, facing the lake Like or facing whatever. the lake, which is like, Gorgeous. I mean, if I could have a backyard view, it'd probably be that. And one. apparently, that's a different location than the front of the house. Those mm-hmm. are two separate places. To, right. But. Yeah. So when they're in the water, Casey, and they film the part with the boat <laughs> rocking and tipping over, they mentioned to Julie Andrews last minute. They're like, "So, so the little one can't swim." Here's another thing about safety in the yeah. 60s filmmaking, because this would not be allowed now. Yeah. <laughs> Gretel, the little girl who plays Gretel, can't swim. And so they're like, so if you could just be sure and and fall forward so that you're close enough to catch her or to like get her out of the water quickly. And Julie Andrews says that on the, on the first take, she the boat was rocking so much she accidentally tipped backwards instead of forward. So there was nowhere, no one near like Gretel to grab her. Um, and she said that there were just all kinds of movie people like jumping in the water to like <laughs> fish her out. Like, <laughs> And she says like, I never swum never swam so fast. Right. <laughs> and so they had to do that shot four times, which means that poor little Gretel had to get tipped into the water multiple times, even though... Well, not only that, it. they get tipped in, then they have to get dried off. Mm-hmm. They probably have multiple versions of the costume. Ready, um, yeah. Change into that, like it's a it's a long process to reset everything versus just shoot, 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 shoot four right. times. Because you have to, have you to, have to sit there and wait and dread it. you fall you know? out, yeah. <laughs> But they did eventually get it, and it is such a good scene. I love that. Mm-hmm. Oh, Captain, you're home. <laughs> and then they just tip the whole boat. <laughs> the only sad thing about the filming of Sound of Music is that both Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer's marriages were kind of like very, at very rocky points, mm, yeah. um, which Christopher Plummer was married like four times in his life. <laughs> um, so who I'm sure it's still... Hurt, hurt him um but so at the i think part of the problem that you get is that julie andrews and her husband tony were just never in the same place and they're both working very very hard and they're both working in the arts and mm-hmm. so um, and they both loved what they did yeah and so it's just a you know she'd be in austria he'd be in london she'd be in la he'd be in london like he worked mostly in london and so there was just you know trying to find time together wasn't working and and so their their marriage ended and uh shortly after that she meets Blake Edwards she actually meets Blake Edwards on her honeymoon with Tony Walton really yeah so they met but um they didn't really know each other and right. they weren't friends even until years and years later but they they technically first met on like their wedding vacation oh that's um, funny yeah with their first husband that. yeah <laughs> But it's also interesting what you're saying about like them both working so hard and because it's been said that she and Blake Edwards have a different dynamic and I'm sure it was something that they talked about. But when one of them is working really hard, then the other one isn't. So they try to, they plan to offset each other in a better way than she really had with Tony. Right. Um, even though she remained really good friends with Tony for years and years after mm-hmm. for the rest, you know, 
for the rest of forever. So. So yeah, and then her second Edward or her second husband Blake Edwards. I mean, they were together for forty-one years, and theirs wasn't exactly an easy relationship either. Um, you get a lot in her book about he struggled with depression and he had hypochondria like severely, um, and then he would have like suicidal anxiety, and there were different points in his life where he was like self-medicating, which really affected their relationship and things. Um, so. And, and she really stuck with him through all of that. And she mentions, um, oh, she says in her book, but there was an interview I was watching and she, I think it's the same one with Diane Sawyer and she's talking about how she, it is a bit of a, a codependent relationship for the two of them. And she's like, but you know, I was, I was used to that because her childhood was much like that, like feeling the need to be enough for her mom and stepdad to help them through alcoholism. And, and so she was really someone who um, took on a role of trying to, to save those around her that she loved. Um, but yeah, Blake Edwards was a director, and he directed Breakfast at Tiffany's, and he also did all the Pink Panther th- films, at least those. Uh, so he knows Peter Sellers? Well, he knew Peter Sellers? Oh, geez. There's so much stuff with Peter Sellers, Casey. What? I, I love Peter Sellers. You haven't finished the book yet. No. I got through the Sound of Music stuff, and I hadn't, I didn't finish it yet, but yeah, right. you've, you've listened to the whole thing. Yeah, so, so I won't spoil all that, because that's more of Blake Edwards' story anyways. But she does talk about, yeah, Blake Edwards and Peter Sellers. Um, because those were, I think maybe the first one was out before they got married. Mm. But then the, like, second, third, and fourth were after their, you know, they were together when he was working wow. on those. I had no idea that was him. That's awesome. Yeah, she mentions that she loved him for his um, sense of humor and that it was always a little wicked. And um, <laughs> That's a good way of describing those yeah. movies. <laughs> Yeah, a bit of a dark humor to it and and that he was just very charismatic and which always seems to be the case for those who like not always but a lot of times you know those who have very high highs and very low lows mm. which seemed to be Blake Edwards' life. When he was feeling good, he was on top of the world. So they actually worked on seven films together. Several of them are rated R, which makes sense why in my mind there's like this big gap um from like Sound of Music to Princess Diaries. There's yeah. like this massive gap fence because they're movies I wouldn't have seen as a kid. <laughs> well, and plus musicals were kind of going out of vogue at the time that Julie Andrews started to become popular. It was like she came just slightly too late. You know, I think if she had been born um, 10, 15 years earlier, we probably would have probably would have got a lot more right. m- Julie Andrews in musicals. She'd but have we been really right there didn't... with Fred and Ginger and yeah. Judy Garland and yeah. yeah. But it was at the tail end of that, and so yeah, it's a bit of a a bit of a dry spell between for a long for a long long time. Well, she acted in tons of right. movies. She was also in a lot of. I feel like musicals went away from movies and into like TV specials because mm-hmm. um, she's doing a lot of those. She as had well. her own Julie Andrews hour for a while. Yeah, I think it was only one season, and then she was like, "That was so much work." <laughs> it was like producing an entire movie, or like a you know. In a week. In a week. And there was just, it was like physically exhausting. And that was at the same, to give you a a picture of her and Blake's life, they had, um, so she had Emma from her first marriage and Blake had a son from his first marriage. And then they adopted, or no, Blake had a son and a daughter from his first marriage. Mm. And then they adopted later uh, two young girls from Vietnam, Amy and 
Joanna are like one year apart. Like they adopted Amy, I believe is the older one. And then a year later, they adopted Joanna. So they have five children who are, and the older three are often being split between different homes. Um, And there's one point where she's working on the Julie Andrews Hour in London. And Blake has filming that he's doing some in London and like some in Los Angeles. Uh, And they also, so they have homes in London and Los Angeles and they have a home in Switzerland that was always kind of their their safe haven. Mm. Like anytime there's in between projects or whatever, like they go there and they try to bring all the children with them and and make it a more peaceful, relaxed environment to try and create a home. But anyways, they're in London and they're in this like rental house that is falling apart and it had like plumbing issues and there's water spraying and they've just been having a really rough go and their kids are all over the place. And and Julie Andrews is in the kitchen trying to make pancakes and there's five kids and tons of pets everywhere. And and she just yells, we will have harmony in this house. Like... Even though things are absolutely insane, the the British stalwart nature of her is like, we're going to fix it. It's going to be fine. It's yeah. like, you know, we're going to make it work. <laughs> and we will have harmony in this house. <laughs> Casey, did you know that she was in an Alfred Hitchcock movie? I've never seen it. I heard that and I was like, what? But totally. just, just in preparation for this. But yeah, yeah. I, I've never seen it. I don't think I've ever seen it. Torn Curtain. I've definitely never seen it. It wasn't one of his most popular ones, but he didn't even want Julie Andrews in it. Like, she wasn't on his radar um, for the part. Mm. He had other people in mind, but there was... It came out right after Mary Poppins and Sound of Music. There was, you know, what is it? The movie executives, the studio executives wanted him to cast big names. And so Julie Andrews was big at the time. And Paul Newman was the other one that they... That the executives kind of pushed on Hitchcock. He didn't really get to cast those roles. Gotcha. And Julie Andrews said that he was always very kind to her, um, but he and Paul Newman had different styles, and so they butted heads a lot. Mm. Um, but I did want to mention this because I, you'll like this bit of trivia. Uh, that So Steven Spielberg, as a kid, because mm-hmm. this uh, is in 1966. This is the, oh, so, oh, <laughs> I know yeah. what you're going to say. I didn't know this was that movie. <laughs> this is that movie. Okay. So Steven Spielberg, as a kid in 1966, snuck on the soundstage and stayed for 45 minutes before he was asked to leave. Yeah, I knew he snuck on to the, to the lot to just like, he just snuck on and pretended that he belonged there. Right. And it's just because he loved movies he and wanted, wanted to, to experience it. figure it out. It's yeah. all just curiosity. <laughs> I didn't know that was this movie. That's that amazing. was a Julie Andrews movie. <laughs> a Julie Andrews Hitchcock movie. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I have to watch this now and just think, oh, Spielberg was there. <laughs> Somewhere in the background. For a little less than an hour, Spielberg got to hang out. <laughs> One of my other favorite relationships in Julie Andrew's life is her relationship with Carol Burnett. Yes. They're like the biggest chums, and it <laughs> makes me so happy. Julie Andrews will say in an interview that Carol Burnett brings out the best and the worst in her. <laughs> like, that she gets, like, raunchy and dirty to the point that she's even shocking Carol. Like, <laughs> like she's trying to get, like, reactions out of Carol kind of thing. Well, like, I, there are stories of her and Carol in a hotel, and they were trying to shock people, and so they were, like, making no, so out as people is- came out of the elevator. Yeah, so this is funny because they were asked to do, they did three um, Carnegie Hall specials together, like musical numbers and and things. Um, But so they were asked when Lyndon Johnson, his inauguration, like, ball, like, they do, like, a performance beforehand, I guess. And so they asked Julie and Carol to do, like, one of their 10-minute numbers. And so they were there in the hotel, 
and one of the another friend was coming and they knew he was coming he's like hey i'm 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 at the lobby i'll be up in a few minutes and so they thought for sure that the next ping of the elevator opening was going to be him and they were going to shock him you know pull a prank and so julie andrews pulls carol burnett over her lap and is pretending to like you know give her a big passionate kiss and the doors open and it's full of secret service men (laughs) (laughs) and the you know and then the doors just close and then they did again it was like a just a woman that lived there or staying there Mm -hmm. yeah and she was and carol burnett was so embarrassed at this point that she was like hiding behind the couch but the lady had like walked back and was like are you carol burnett and carol burnett says yes and this is my friend mary poppins (laughs) (laughs) and then the third ding of the elevator they try it one more time and it is their friend and i forget mark something yeah anyways and he's just like, oh, hey, girls. And he just, like, <laughs> just keeps, keeps walking. walking. Yeah. Yeah. So they didn't even get the effect that they wanted. But just the idea that they are so silly and fun together. Um, you can watch some of their Carnegie Hall musical specials. And they do kind of, uh, you know how you, the, I feel like it must be uh, pulled from there. Like, you know how there's like the dancing through the eras, kind of through the decades? Yeah. Musical dances. Well, they do like musical songs through the decades. Oh, cool. Kind of things in their performances. Yeah, Casey. Any other honorable mentions? I any but any tidbits of trivia. Yeah. Well, we want to talk about her throat and all that drama. She like had some. I think it was just she was in a play. I think, and she just had a lot of scarring. And then the doctors said it was like nodules. And then they had surgery, but it wasn't nodules and it wasn't cancerous. And it ended up really messing up her voice, and she couldn't sing at higher octaves as she could before, which she's you know a soprano, and she wasn't anymore after that. And she she can't sing like a. Almost at yeah. all. So she sued the sued those doctors, and I think she can sing a little bit at slower at a lower register. Right, because she has a, a very she has one song in Princess Diaries two, and it is very low, it's almost like a spoken song. And that was the first time she had sung sung since the injury, um, since the yeah surgery. And the director and and crew were all in tears because mm-hmm. here's here's uh, Julie Andrews singing again but right. but they yeah they specifically wrote that song at a, a lower octave so that it could her voice could fit it but and I did mention that Princess Diaries is one of my absolute favorite movies but we're not going to talk about Julie Andrews in it now because of things that are coming yes that's a tease <laughs> But I do love when you talk about her voice. So one more thing to mention about Julie Andrews is that she's an author. She and her daughter, her oldest daughter, Emma, not only the two autobiographies, but when Julie Andrews was working on all these other films, she also wrote a children's book called Mandy. And and then after her surgery, she was just feeling really like she'd lost her voice. She'd lost her identity. You know, her song was her voice and or her song and voice was her identity in a lot of ways. And so she, you know, went to more therapy. And can we mention real quick, Julie Andrews is 100% open about mental health in her books, which is fantastic, about her husband's, about her own, about yeah. her going to a psychotherapist is the term of the con. Term Psycho, of the time. Well, psychotherapist is yeah is more of a yeah. um a broad term. Psychoanalysis right. is like Fro- Freudian therapy, okay. but yeah, she's very yeah. Open so about she going started that, yeah. that she started going to therapy back in the seventies when it wouldn't have been very acceptable or you know a, looked down upon. It says that she went to more therapy after the loss of her voice, and she says that at one point her daughter Emma that she was writing with mentioned, well, you know, mom, you've just through all these books, you've you've found a new way to use your voice. And Love she that. says that it just really 
lifted a burden off her shoulders like she and that it has never really bothered her since yeah that she's found a new way to use her voice and i love that she's so cool um i have one more thing i want to talk about if if you want me to absolutely anything julie andrews related i'm there for this just shows how weird like hollywood is and it's just it's stranger than fiction as they say um this is my kind of trivia it's just odd so are you ready for this val so ready so julie andrews was in my fair lady on broadway Right. And then um, an actress that took over for her on Broadway for My Fair Lady for the role of Eliza Doolittle was Sally Ann Howes. Now, Sally Ann Howes was cast in, as Truly Scrumptious in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the movie. So that's her, which is also with Dick Van Dyke. But the role was originally offered to Julie Andrews. And then later, Sally Ann Howes was in the U.S. tour of Sound of Music. It's like Sally Ann Howes keeps like following oh, everything I- that Julie Andrews <laughs> is doing it's just weird it's just mm-hmm. weird to me and then and then on top of that like all the angela lansbury stuff too because angela lansbury was in she was considered for the role of mary poppins and then she was in bed knobs and broomsticks but she was cast because julie andrews turned down the role then julie andrews was like no i actually want to do it but then by then it was too late they were already shooting and then i think julie andrews was also considered for the role of mrs potts which went to angela lansbury so there, there's these three actresses that keep intertwining through all these years it's just it boggles my mind. I don't know if that interests anyone else but me, but <laughs> I just think it's weird. Weird in the best possible way. Yep. Casey, can I end on a final quote from Julie Andrews? Absolutely. It's kind of a long one, but it's a good one. She was giving advice to some young actresses, and this is what she said, but I think it applies to all of us. She said, Nothing is wasted is for sure. There were days when I was in vaudeville and I'd be endlessly touring around England in really tacky productions and wondering... What on earth good was this going to do me? But suddenly I'm doing Mary Poppins on film and it has a kind of vaudeville rum tum quality like those musicals. And I thought, oh, how lucky I did all of that. Nothing's wasted. It's going to come in use for you at some point in your life. That's fantastic. And so true. Yeah. I was thinking about that just all the uncertainty anytime in your life you're like well why why did i have to go through that or why did i learn this or whatever it is right. especially if it feels like a step backward or a failure mm-hmm. or a, a weird detour that doesn't go anywhere which yeah. i've had plenty of those so mm-hmm. but they weren't wasted in the long yeah. run so nothing is wasted is for sure well thank you for listening to our our retrospective on julie andrews the hollywood years the wonderful marvelous fantastic julie andrews she's just royalty to, to me she's royalty um <laughs> which is funny because she me, acted with she max von Sydow. so anyways let's close out this episode thank you so much for listening uh we want to give a special thanks and shout out to our patrons especially our newest patron austin welcome austin thank you so much for your support and thank you to all of our patrons if you want to see what all the benefits are for becoming a a patron of Elsewhere, head over to patreon.com slash hello from elsewhere. Just a few more patrons and you get sent a personalized postcard from us. We're waiting yeah. for 20 patrons. Yeah, I might just do a little doodle on there. Valerie's going to do some fancy lettering because fancy lettering she's a pro at I'll that. I'll write your name all A legitimate beautiful. pro at that. I mean, you've been paid for hand lettering, so you are yep. technically a legitimate pro. <laughs> I have not been paid for a doodle. But you could be. They're so fun. <laughs> I'd pay you for a doodle. Okay. (laughs) We also have some Happy Beeps and Hello from Elsewhere t-shirts. Head over to Teespring. The full link is in the show's description. Hello from Elsewhere is a proud member of WBNE. Visit WBNE.org for more fabulous podcasts like Sincerely Us. Yeah, we've talked about Sincerely Us in 
in this very episode. Yeah, because uh, they're awesome, and they talk about musical theater and Julie Andrews. They are so great, and we're not just saying that because Becca and Eni are like our bestest friends, but they are really our bestest friends, and they make an amazing podcast. So go check out Sincerely Us, and here is a promo. Dear listener, today's going to be a good day, and here's why. Because today, you're about to find your new favorite theater podcast. I'm Becca. And I'm Eni, and we're the host of Sincerely Us, a podcast for the casual musical theater fan. And when we say casual, we mean casual. We don't know every show in existence, and we don't pretend to. Our show is mostly about how perfect Jeremy Jordan is. And what we would do if we met Lin-Manuel Miranda on the street. I would be unable to move or form words. This is a show for theater nerds, by theater nerds. Every Wednesday on WB&E. Sincerely, us. You're going to have to get used to that shtick. <laughs> we use it every single episode. <laughs> Casey, are you ready to fly away on your umbrella? Yeah. Be sure and keep your toes pointed out, because oh. Julie Andrews made that decision. Because from her ballet days, right? Yeah. Ballerina days. Mm-hmm. You had the feet turned out, and she remembered seeing acrobats in uh, in like her vaudeville days, and they'd have droopy feet, and it always kind of bugged her. And also the P.L. Travers. You have droopy feet. <laughs> The droopiest. And and Peel Travers' uh, illustrations, well, it's not her illustrations, but the illustrator who did the illustrations for the Mary Poppins mm, books, yeah. whose name I can't remember, um, she said that droopy her feet McFeet. were always kind of droopy McFeet, too. So <laughs> she was very, you know, wanted her feet to be very turned out. All right. On that note, happy beeps. Happy beeps. <laughs>